Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's get get into it. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Writing Forge. I'm Miranda. I'm Bonnie. And we're with Krista Berry today. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm excited about this topic. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. But first, you get to introduce yourself. Just let us know and like how you got into the where you are in the writing world today. So I had a mentor several years ago who pointed out to me that I've always been a writer. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not a real writer. And he pointed out to me stories that I had told him over the time that we had worked together and how I actually started writing when I was like seven years old. I would write short stories and poetry. I actually won a writing contest when I was eight years old. Bonnie knows because she's read my book. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I was writing poetry and short stories all through high school And then into my 20s, I started writing a blog in my 30s and wrote a weekly blog post for about eight years. Oh, wow. So not a writer. Not a writer. No, No, but I'm not a writer. (laughs) Just in case there is any question, I'm not a writer. Not like a real Mm -hmm. writer. Uh. And (laughs) so, you know, having him point that out to me was really helpful because I was like, oh, I guess I am a writer. And that was around the time I started writing my book. And even through the process, I mean, we're going to talk more about imposter syndrome. You know, it still took me a while to really own that I was a writer, a real writer, (laughs) air quotes. (laughs) But that's really been my writing journey is that I started at a very young age writing and have continuing continued to write, even though there's been different iterations of what I wrote or how I wrote. Um, COVID has set me back as a writer. If I'm honestly like, right, I hear all these people talking during, especially during lockdown, like this is a great time to write. And I was just like, I'm barely functioning. Like it's really hard to be creative when everything feels so hard. I feel like that went like 50-50. Like half the people are like, I can't do anything creative. And the other half are like, I need to do only creative things. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, I was the like, can't do anything creative. And so I have you know, paused in my writing, but I'm really excited to dive back in. Like I'm starting to feel that it's time. I'm ready to write. So what, tell us about your book quick, your one that's out. Yes. So my, my first book is called Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Odds. And it's a part memoir, part self-help that tells my stories of growing up in poverty with a lot of mental illness in my family and just how I overcame and navigated many challenges in my life. But from the perspective of, you know, how do you navigate challenges if you have circumstances that make it difficult for you? Yeah. We still have the awkward silence. Okay. (laughs) Well, I felt like we were both going to talk at the same time. (laughs) Go, Miranda. All right. Well, let's get to today's topic. What is imposter syndrome? We'll start with something simple and then we'll dive into it. Um, I'll I'll say my take on it and then um, which is just it's 
the feeling like you're an imposter even when you're not. So like you have skills or whatever, but you, you feel like you're a fraud, like somehow you got to where you are as a writer or whatever career or hobby you're doing, but you're not good enough and someone will find out and chastise <laughs> you, basically. Yeah, the technical definition of imposter syndrome is the persistent fear of being found out as a fraud. So I'd heard the term talked about, and I didn't think it applied to me for a long time because the voice in my head, you know, the one that tells me that I suck. Yeah. Uh, that voice doesn't use the word fraud. It uses different terms, but it essentially is the same thing. Like you aren't worthy. You haven't deserved you haven't earned this. You don't deserve this. You're not you know, a real writer. You're not a real writer. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's a true story. We're not no. saying you're not a yeah, real yeah, writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, speaking no, on it. behalf of the voice. <laughs> yes. Because I, yeah. I have definitely experienced that as well. I don't have, like, I don't know. I don't have my own definition because I think that covers yeah, all no. of it. Yeah, <laughs> From the official to the not. No, so, I like your actual official definition. I appreciate it. Yes, that. thank you. <laughs> um, so what, uh, Krista, what is the source of your imposter syndrome? Well, the original study on imposter syndrome was a study that was done of high-achieving women, and it was believed that this phenomenon of imposter syndrome primarily impacted high-achieving women. Uh -huh. And what they found through this study was they determined that they believed that it was caused by the inability to integrate our accomplishments. Interesting. Yeah. And and now there's all this research that they find that actually 70% of the population or more will experience imposter syndrome at some point, and that it is really a universal experience across genders, across classes, across all kinds of life experiences, that most people will experience that at some point in time. But for me personally, I resonated with that idea of the inability to integrate accomplishments because I used to be somebody that played compliment dodgeball like hardcore <laughs> I was a champ I was like the if there if, if this was in the Olympics I would be the gold medalist of compliment dodgeball like you could give me praise you could give me compliments and 100% of the time I was going to jump out of the way I wasn't going to let any of that <laughs> sit with me stick on me it was like nope I mean you know, now if someone had something bad to say about me, yes. oh, oh, yeah. I own that. Immediately that is, internalized. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that's mine. I'll take that. You know, even if people just implied, I'm like, oh, I think that's mine too. I'll take that. <laughs> but if it was something good, it was like, oh. I think you're talking about somebody else. Like, Clearly you, this isn't about me. <laughs> yeah, clearly this isn't about me. I think you're confused. <laughs> No, I remember I, I am not a seamstress, but I took a class with my mom on how to use a serger. And I remember the teacher talking about like people who make things themselves and you'll point it out like, oh, that's a beautiful thing you made. And they'll be like, oh, but look, if you fold it over and you look at this one part here, you can see where I messed up. And she was just like, that's not useful. Like, don't go around advertising your flaws. But but that's one of the things in Compliment Dodgeball. This was a, a blog post I'd written years ago when I was blogging, and then I wrote about it again in my book. And like that's one of the things that when 
people do experience that compliment dodgeball. You know, it's like, I'm going to find a way to minimize or point out flaws or justify or give credit to someone else instead of really hearing and owning and letting in the feedback that I'm getting that's positive. I'm going to find some way to deflect it, like deflect our shields up. Like <laughs> yeah. Trick. Yes. I like that. No, not for me. Bonnie, what about you? What it, what was what was the source? Was? I, was? I, I, is, I'm talking like is, this is a past I'm trying. Thing. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. What, why are you messed up, girl? Thank you. <laughs> for putting it that late, yes. I did. Um, <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, so there are lots of ways in which I experience imposter syndrome. But for me as an editor, one of the things is like there isn't – there's not like a bar exam that editors have to do. So like if, if someone's a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse, you know they had to pass that one test. Um, and and so therefore they're legit. Now, there are still bad doctors and lawyers and nurses, so I'm not sure why that's the bar in my mind, but that is kind of, and there's no one big test that you take as an editor that proves you're a good one. So I feel like I come back to that a lot. I've tried to do different little certificates and things, and but ultimately I think those are not, that's not actually how you defeat imposter syndrome because like you were saying all the high achieving women who probably had a bunch of certificates and things and still don't believe in themselves so yeah well now I get to turn it on you Miranda that's all right we're getting all personal no let's go for it (laughs) why no go tell us oh see you said that so much nicer (laughs) reveal your pain to us yes (laughs) your pain I think that was also a Star Trek (laughs) Um, ah, imposter syndrome. I think the times that I have experienced it the most is, uh, I have never, that's a lie. Um, (laughs) I was going to say, I've never actually been trained on a job, but there are a handful of jobs where I did receive like a week of training. And so that's not technically true, but for the most part, any job or anything that I've ever done, it's always been a trial by fire where I am just tossed into the thick of it and I'm told to figure it out. Like being the social media coordinator for NCW. Being the social media coordinator for NCW, being, uh, anything, like every, it's been every job that I've ever held. Um, and so my imposter syndrome tends to stem from like, I just figured this out. Like I did it kind of like with you. Wrong. Yeah. Either I figured it out wrong or like, I just cobbled this together. Like the whole, um, not showing the back of, mm-hmm. The sewing project, like, no, no, please don't look under the hood of my car because that is just chewing gum and paper clips. <laughs> and so and so it's a lot of it's it's similar to both of you. Like, I don't uh, like, no, that doesn't count because I just figured it out. Like, no, that I didn't actually learn this. I didn't actually like, no, this is just something I figured out on the fly. It doesn't it's not an accomplishment or I didn't go to school for it or I don't have a certificate for it. And so therefore like, nah, seriously, if you like, you will find something better, please go. (laughs) Like if you need to use my stuff because you have to, I totally understand. But also if you have the opportunity, please go elsewhere. Like, so It's amazing to me how we 
tell these stories to ourselves, though, because when I was in the process of writing my book, I started a writing group at the co-working space I was working at at a time. And so there were published authors that joined me in this writing group. There were people who were professional writers. There were people who had published dissertations. So, you know, really a lot of different objective evidence of writing success. (laughs) And there was not a single person in that writing group that felt comfortable claiming the title of author at that time. And I thought that was so fascinating. Like, one of the people in the group had published two books. And I was like, wait, like, when do we get to be an author? Like, it's, it's not publishing a book or a dissertation. It's not getting paid to write. It's not publishing multiple books. I'm like, what is this bar that we have in our minds? And it's the thing is, is we, if we're experiencing imposter syndrome, we never feel like we've achieved it, right? So we might have published multiple books or had a certain number of book sales or whatever the thing might be, but we find a way to discount and say, oh, that doesn't count. As you were just saying, Miranda, like, well, that doesn't count. Let me tell you why. That doesn't actually count. And so when I realized that in that writing group, I had this moment of realizing, like, I'm doing the work of being an author. I have joined writing groups. I've created writing groups. I became a member of NCW. Like, all of these things, I was like, I am a writer in practice, like maybe it doesn't matter. Like an author whose works weren't published until after they were dead. Yeah. Are they not an author? (laughs) Like, no, they were like, they wrote all these amazing works, these unpublished works that got found later. It's like, no, you're an author if you're doing the work. And so it becomes about claiming it. But, you know, this just kept coming up for me in my writing process. Like, There was a moment where the NCW writing retreat was coming up and a friend of mine said, oh, are you going to go to that? And I was like, no, I hadn't really considered it. And I noticed the voice in my head was like, well, because you're not a real writer. (laughs) Like those people are real writers and you're still a fake writer. (laughs) And as soon as I realized that I had that thought and that that's why I hadn't even considered attending I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to go <laughs> Good. Um, because that's stupid. I am a real writer. And so that was my first NCW writing retreat, which was amazing. And I got there and realized, you know, I was as much of a writer as anyone who shows up. And like the just showing up was part of that. Like, I'm a real yes. writer because I showed up here. Exactly. <laughs> so what are, you, what are like the key practical tips for not falling prey to your imposter syndrome? That is a great question. And I give talks about imposter syndrome all the time. And I do lots of fun interactive exercises with the audience. And one of them is really about just practicing receiving positive feedback differently. And so that's something I know it's really, it's really challenging. Yeah, you're like, I don't like it. It's really challenging to do, but it if we believe that imposter syndrome is caused by the inability to integrate accomplishments, really practicing hearing positive feedback and taking it in and allowing it to sit with us starts to counteract that. It doesn't mean you won't continue to experience imposter syndrome sometimes because I still do and I've been doing this for years. But it just means that imposter syndrome isn't stopping me in ways that I'm not conscious of, just like attending that NCW writing retreat 
you know, before someone asked me if I was going, I hadn't even realized that that thought was in my head. And so there's this practice of like allowing the praise and the compliments in more and not basically not playing compliment dodgeball, not justifying, minimizing, not making excuses or pointing out anything about my work that might be imperfect, you know, all of that. <laughs> like, I think that's a huge step in addressing it, navigating it, managing it differently. And so I think that's one thing is really watching how easily you're willing to accept positive feedback and compliments and, you know, maybe just getting better at that. And then the other piece is, I think, is getting more practiced at talking about our contributions and the things we're doing and how we're proud of ourselves. And so I've made a regular practice of that as well. Like I have an accountability partner and every week I check in with her on like, these are my weekly wins. Like these are the things that I feel proud of what I did or how I showed up, or this is how I'm making progress. And so it's a lot of practices around helping me integrate those accomplishments different giving myself credit being able to receive credit from other people without rejecting it i was just thinking of i think it's this thing i got from you um the idea of like a wind jar and i have ever since someone brought that up it's like you have an, either a physical or something in your email where you, anything good that happens you write it down you put it in there and then when you're starting to doubt, like, what am I doing? You can pull it out. And so, like, if you get a client testimonial or someone, I mean, it depends, like, anything good, any win, you put in the jar and then pull them out when when you're struggling. I've, I've even that? printed them up and, like, hung them on my wall before. I was just thinking maybe, because I, I don't know how often I've actually gone back to my jar and read them, so I might <laughs> need to do that. <laughs> I was going to say, is that is that how you deal with imposter syndrome? Uh, it's certainly one idea that I like, yeah. Okay. How do you typically deal with it if it's... That, that, that's, that's it? That's the one. I don't that's know, that's the, what I have right now. <laughs> okay, hey, we all got to start somewhere. <laughs> and it's probably way healthier than mine. Oh, what's yours? Oh, mine is just like barreling through. Mm. Like I don't stop, I don't analyze. It's just a lot of like here we go and I just throw it out in the world and what what whatever happens to it happens to it and I try to like super disconnect from it and so like I said it's probably not the healthiest way of dealing but it does allow me to go on so I kind of feel like if you like I don't know that that is bad. Like, keep moving forward. Because the main thing, like Krista was saying, like, is when imposter syndrome stops you from doing something. So as long as you don't let it stop you, you're halfway there. I don't know. I've definitely employed that strategy too, Miranda. Like, before I knew very much about imposter syndrome, like, I felt like I just kept going with things. And then once I started learning more about imposter syndrome, I actually realized there was a lot of times that it was keeping me, I would avoid certain opportunities or not go after certain things um, because of the imposter syndrome. And, and not even because I didn't feel I was good enough, but more because I avoided situations that would make me confront that feeling that would bring that up in me. And so there were some areas in my life I was like full steam ahead on things I was doing and other areas, my writing in particular, that I was avoiding, right? Like 
people asked me for years, when you have a weekly blog and you have followers, I mean, this is more back in the day when blogs were a bigger thing, you know, people would often ask me, so when are you going to write a book? And oh my gosh, so many, I would get annoyed with that question every time. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And I can remember like ranting, having rant conversations with friends of like, I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I don't want to. And then I realized at, at some point in time that I really did want to do that. And I think that feeling that rejection of that idea of writing a book was because of my imposter syndrome about being a writer. And so there were other things I was doing, like just barreling through, just doing the thing. Um, but then there were the areas, particularly around my writing, that I was avoiding. I mean, that's probably very fair. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing like, me. I am reevaluating my life now. I, I don't know about reevaluating, but it's like, oh, yeah, there's that spotlight. <laughs> it's going to have to move eventually. So no, I like that point about the thing, like things that you're not doing because you're afraid and and not letting those like get in the way. you're not even considering the yeah, opportunity. Exactly. It's not that it's stopping you from going after that opportunity. It's that that opportunity is not even an option. Well, and if you're like me, you're like super amazing at intellectually justifying <laughs> why you're not pursuing certain things and can Time. be really convincing <laughs> to other people that they would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I fully support you <laughs> in that decision. And it's like all just a bunch of intellectualizing the justifications that are really coming from a place of fear. So what role can like other people play in helping you not? Because you were just saying like you were convincing to the other people. But did you have some people who like saw through that or? Well, my mentor that I mentioned right. at the beginning was a huge one. Like he pointed out to me when he when he described to me what I've told him. So these were facts about myself that I have course knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> but just ha was in denial about what that meant. And so when he pointed that out to me, I was, it was hard for me to reject that evidence coming from him in that way. Like, this is what you've told me. You've told me you started writing poetry when you were seven years old. Like, I don't know that many seven-year-olds that are writing short stories and poetry. I'm not saying it's like never happening, but I don't, I don't think it's happening a lot. And I wrote a lot as a kid and into high, up through high school. Um, so I think reflecting back for people is one thing and also really appreciating people more in your life. Um, I think that's a huge one because even if it's hard to, for them to hear or take in, even if they're playing compliment dodgeball, the more that we appreciate the people around us, you know, most of us have a lot of negative self-talk and when we're hearing a lot of positive self-talk, it can start to counteract and counterbalance that a little bit. And so, yeah, if you're like appreciating the people around you like a ton, I feel like over time that does start to sink in a little bit. That's a, I like that. That's like not just help yourself, but help, help the people around you. Yeah. Um, I guess one last question is we've talked a lot about imposter syndrome generally, but for writers then specifically, what um, what can writers do to not suffer 
<laughs> to not suffer from imposter syndrome. I was like, wait, isn't writing, being a writer like synonymous with suffering? Uh, we were talking about that earlier. I think we have to have an episode on that at some point. We, we shall. Suffering in art. So, Miranda. Oh, goodness. Okay. I'm you, first. You do it to me, so. Hey, I do. I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Turn it back. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. She just did the thing. <laughs> Um, anything writers in particular can do to combat imposter syndrome. I would say, much like we were talking about earlier, appreciate the work that you do. And if you're writing every day, or even if you aren't writing every day, like just take stock of everything you have already written and understand that that alone makes you a writer. And if you can bring yourself to submit to different places or even give it, you know, to friends and family and see what they think. Kind friends and family at first. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, criticism, I think that's a big step is sharing yeah, your writing. Share um, and understand that if, if there is criticism about your work, constructive criticism, haters are going to hate, but you also <laughs> shouldn't listen to them if that's all they're doing. But um, constructive criticism makes you no less a writer. It's just helping you up your skill level. So anyone who plays video games, it's just a little bit of damage that you're taking. <laughs> you get your health pack and you level up. It's okay. Um, That's a good so, point. Just because you need to improve at a skill or something doesn't mean you're not a writer. Yeah, I was going to say community because writing is something that we really do ourselves and we do alone. But I've started writing groups, joined writing groups, you know, shut up and write. That's where I met Bonnie. And writing in community, I think, can be just really empowering as a writer because you realize, or like when I attended the NCW retreat, for example, again, that's another writing in community. I realized that like we are all struggling with similar feelings of imposter syndrome, similar struggles around the process of being a writer, our identities as what does that mean to me to be a writer. And when you get to share those experiences with others, when you get to work on your writing surrounded by other people who are on a similar path and a similar purpose, I think that's a really powerful experience. I mean, Nano is another example of that too, right? That anytime we're coming together as a community as writers, I think that's in helping us challenge some of that imposter syndrome that might come up. Yeah, back to the original idea of being a fraud. If if everyone's a fraud, then maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> We're all imposters no together. One is. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Krista. Um, we usually like to end the episode with a question for our reader, readers, for our listeners. listeners. And the writing mindset now. Yes. Um, did you have one, Miranda? Anyone have one? Uh, do you also suffer from imposter syndrome? And if you do, what uh, are the things that you do to help counteract it? Or have you not started yet, and are you looking for a community? I want more ideas like the wind jar. Give me, give me more things like that. Awesome. All right. Stay sharp, my friends. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Writing Forge, an NCW podcast brought to you by Nagano Press. 
To learn more about The Writing Forge and our parent company, Northern Colorado Writers, be sure to check out our website at northerncoloradowriters.com. Check out our social links in the description. You can subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever podcasts are aired. If you like this episode, you'd really help us out by rating and reviewing. If you're looking for more informational writing content, be sure to become an NCW member. Stay sharp, my friends. 